Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a playgroup or a cube designer? Has this ever happened to you? You show up at a draft, and it's not disclosed to you that the cube you're drafting has special rules where all spells and abilities are reduced by two. So you don't really know what to do, so you just see the card coercion and think to yourself, wow, this is better than thought C, so you just force mono black. But then in your first two rounds, your opponents are doing more broken stuff than you could have ever imagined, attacking for lethal on turn one with Devil's Valet or killing you with Aetherflux Reservoir. Then in round three, your opponent shows their opening hand to the person sitting next to them, and you hear a bunch of scrounging around, and then you hear yelling, and then one of them is shouting at you that his friend kept a no-lander and says, help him, help him, you gotta help him. But then he just plays three eggs back to back and laughs because he didn't need lands. He didn't need lands at all. He was just faking it. And then they get really serious and they say, it's turbo time! And they both start running around the LGS as fast as they can, jumping over all the tables. But when you try to jump in, they yell at you and say, you're not part of the turbo team! Don't run! Don't run with us! We're the ones who run! Until you're part of this turbo team, walk slowly! Alright, well then, here it is, not a day too soon, it's your Lucky Paper Radio for the week. My name is Andy, I'm here as always with my co-host, Anthony Magfest Attendee Maddox. Going to Magfest. Should we have told uh, people beforehand, because this is going to come out right yeah. as it ends. So, uh, great meeting you if I saw you there. <laughs> it didn't occur to me that, I mean, we're recording this early because you're going to be away this weekend, but it didn't occur to me to tell people, because there's probably some listeners that are going to be there. Yeah. I'll post around some places. There you go. You can surprise them. I'll have had them. posted. Have had posted. Are you excited to go to MAGFest? Yeah, I don't know what to expect. Uh, this is my first time going to this event. I'm not a big event goer in general. Uh, so <laughs> in general, I don't like doing stuff or Hey, that's not things. true. I do all kinds of stuff and no, I know. things. Um, yeah. I'll hopefully have played a bunch of Cube. Are you going to play a bunch of Smash, too? Probably not. Oh. Maybe. Oh. I don't know. I'm not good at it. you got to get out there with that Samus and just... Hit him with a charge shot. They'll never see that coming. Or Yoshi down air. Yeah, they'll spam, never see that coming either. Is spam this, Yoshi is down Is this air. my my thing? My the through line in how I play Super Smash Brothers is uh, doing things that are obviously coming. I think you are have a savvy eye for good options. <laughs> okay. You like you you choose the low effort good option where it's like this is reasonably strong and hard to uh-huh. contend with. If somebody's just mashing on you, which a lot of Smash players are, they just press buttons and don't really think with what, what they're doing, and then you just get them repeatedly. Just, just bounce over them and then and then down B. To be clear, I said Yoshi down air. You're referring to Yoshi down B. Yeah, which is the that's one what where, I mean. That's his, that's clearly his down air. Uh, no, his down air is the little like thing where he does like oh, a yeah, yeah, walk yeah. on your face and he goes. That one's great. I love that, but it's hard to do. It does a lot of damage. Um, does I'm it, sure. I'm sure I say that people are like, "What are you talking about?" It's like you press two buttons, you, d- you idiot. But it's hard. Well, three for, buttons. It's hard you gotta jump and then press down and then press yeah, attack. Yeah, and three jump. Buttons. It's hard to do it and not jump all the way up. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's words for these. Yeah, just do you, the jump so you're just like at kicking at eye level. You need the short hop macro. Short hop. I can show you this. If the you press short hop macro. If what you press what is this? If you press attack and jump simultaneously, it will do your short version of your hop and the attack at the first possible frame. So you can just hold down okay. and press attack and jump simultaneously, and you will do the lowest possible rising huh. down air. I'm trying to picture this in my brain. We'll have to just... I guess I'm trying to picture what I do to try and accomplish this. Because that's difficult. You know the thing where you're like, uh, what's your PIN number? And you don't... No, nobody uses an ATM machine anymore. This is a, this is a useless metaphor. Haha, uh, <laughs> you said ATM machine, but the M stands for machine. <laughs> ATM <laughs> machine machine. This is what it's <laughs> called. ha. <laughs> I'm done with this. Roasted you. On the topic of roasting you, let's talk about the Turbo Cube, Anthony. Okay. We've got a couple episodes to record to get ahead of ourselves here on account of some upcoming travel, so just kind of digging deep for some topics here. And you recently, after, I gotta say, much cajoling, made some changes to the Turbo Cube that we've been like talking about passively for, for months now. Yeah, I mean, we don't draft the cube all that often, and... You gotta you gotta open up the box and sort out the cards and make plans and order cards. Updating cubes has a lot of steps to go through, but I was looking forward in particular, I'm sure we'll get deeper into this, but to changing some of the, the sort of win conditions that have been staples, and I think that that was maybe one of the bigger changes that we did end up making. That's actually one of the first things I was going to talk about. It's only two cards that got changed, but I think they are yeah 
substantial changes to the overall environment, and that is cutting Mystic Redaction and Teferi's Tutelage, which both of these, I mean, the exact rules text, you can look them up on the cards mentioned page at luckypaper.co slash podcast slash 184 slash cards. But they essentially say, if you just keep doing what your turbo deck already wants to do, you will likely mill your opponent out in a turn or two. Yeah, so they were very potent mill win conditions. Should we mention what the turbo cube is? Oh, absolutely. You should start at the... Let's take it from the top. What is a turbo cube for those that maybe have never heard of it? So the turbo cube is, in contrast to my main cube, which is kind of a lower power, very reasonable environment, it's a very ridiculous environment uh, in which all spells and activated abilities cost two generic mana less. So it's sort of just like you can think of it as an emblem or just a, a global change to the rules of magic that everything gets a discount. It doesn't affect colored mana, but it does mean that anything that would cost two and a blue, for example, now just costs one blue. And the result is a lot of broken cards. You know, you imagine we've got Thoughtseize is one of the most iconic cards of magic. Well, here's this two and a black spell that you've never heard of that can just also allow you to take lands out of your hand. So it's just like more powerful Thoughtseize. And coercion is still not good. And coercion is still not good. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of other cards that are much more insanely pushed. I- I've avoided any cards that are strictly broken. Thinking about cards like Basalt Monolith or Grim Monolith that just make infinite mana on their own, those kinds of things. But there are a lot of free artifacts, so if something says whenever you cast an artifact, do a thing, those are kind of insane win conditions. And these two cards in particular have been kind of, I don't want to say a scourge, but they've been the the most premium win conditions, which are Teferi's Tutelage and Mystic Redaction. And these are part of, you know, we, we see every once in a while they'll print this like mill enchantment with set mechanic. Basically they just say whenever you draw a card, target opponent mills two cards. Or, you know, Sphinx's Revelation is a similar one that's not been in the queue, but does something similar, but Mills Sphinx's extra Revelation cards is definitely hit. not that. Sphinx's Tutelage. Sphinx's Tutelage. Sphinx's Tutelage is another similar one we've seen before. I think that, you know, this card is obviously referencing that. Uh, slightly different wording on the payoffs and what triggers it, but similar patterns in... This is a blue win condition if you keep doing what you want to do in terms of countering your opponent's spells and shutting down their threats, this will eventually win the game. But in the turbo cube where you have lots of free cycling, lots of artifacts that can trip and just draw you through your deck, just are really, really potent win conditions and can often just win the game on turn one before your opponent even gets a turn. I would say they weren't often winning the game on turn one before your opponent gets a turn, but it was definitely possible. It was possible and it was scary. Is definitely scary. I, I would say that, you know, I play with these cards a lot, and I didn't think of the idea of cutting them. I think you maybe suggested the idea of cutting them, and then I immediately was like, oh, of course, yes, we should totally just cut them. You should totally just cut them. Yeah, I mean, I think this came up because I had, prior to CubeCon, had added yes. Attunement, which is an enchantment yes. that, well, let's go ahead and read I, Attunement. I'll, I'll you with the rules text. It's an enchantment from Urza's Saga that's two and a blue for an enchantment. And you have an activated ability on it, the only ability in the whole card, which is return attunement to its owner's hand, draw three cards, then choose and discard four cards. So basically it just lets you move a bunch of cards around from your hand, your library, and your graveyard, because the attunement is the fourth card. So you essentially draw four, discard four, and you can do it repeatably, because you can just keep the attunement and discard some other card if yeah. you want, and then just continue to attune things. Was this part of a cycle? The the sort of structure of this card reminds me of Recurring Nightmare a lot, where part of the cost of... The way this works huh. is you cast this enchantment, and then you put it back in your hand and do some effect. Recurring Nightmare obviously lets you do the sort of Hell's Caretaker ability of switching creatures in graveyard and play. This gives you more of a frantic search type of effect of drawing a bunch of cards and discard a bunch... It's worth noting this does put you down on cards. You're drawing three and then discarding four, but if you... is the fourth. Right, so you are... I mean, you're still... You're neutral on cards. You're neutral on cards. Yeah, it's essentially draw four, discard four, and one of the four is always a two-minute that you're drawing. So if you want to keep looping it, you're going to go down a card every time because... Why is this... Yes, yeah, so you are going down on cards, effectively. If, if you want to keep looping it, yes. but you can... Activate it once, and it's draw four, discard four, basically. Because you count the attunement as one of the cards. Right, right. Okay, but draw four, discard four puts you down a card, is what I'm saying. Like, if you have a, yes, yes, uh, yes, what yes, do you I call see. it, a thrill of possibility type card. Yeah, um, on the whole, because if you count the first attunement you cast as right. a card, then yes. But if you just are looking at the looping of attunement in play, like, assu- assuming the attunement is a given, then the looping of it is potentially indefinite, yeah. But if your win condition is Teferi's Tutelage that's already in play, this just lets you kill your opponent very quickly. So I, I added this briefly before CubeCon and was like, this card seems cool. And it's it's fun. Like, there are a lot of new cards that come out for 
that are immediately uh, obviously going to be very powerful for this cube. It is fun to occasionally go back and look at older cards and think, wait a minute, I hadn't considered this before, but this actually might just interact with things in an interesting way. And this obviously works really well with those win conditions, so I had cut attunement because I was scared. I was just scared. I didn't want this to be completely busted. Uh, but then we were talking about it at the event, and Attunement is actually kind of the more interesting card because it doesn't just win the game on its own. Instead, it just rules. gives I'm you so this, about that this like, really powerful engine to churn through your deck, uh, but you do need some other win conditions. So what we, we discussed doing, and not everyone in the playgroup was excited about this. Some people just really like those win conditions. You can say it, Patrick. Uh, did, Patrick didn't like it. James also didn't like it. Did James uh, also not like it? He was. He was, He wanted to keep at least one of them. Well, what's the point of that? I don't know. That don't make no sense. <laughs> so we cut those windmill enchantments, attunements back in, as well as some other changes, and it turns out attunement is very good. I mean, in the first draft with attunement in, I don't think Aaron was super impressed with it. He asked me what to do with it, and I was like, just put it in your deck, and I think you'll love it. And he was like, it was fine. It did things, but he wasn't like over the moon about it. All right, breaking news. It's fine. <laughs> All right, so it seems like maybe this was part of a cycle that they kind of started and never finished. There's a card, Broken Fall, two and a green, enchantment from Tempest, return Broken Fall to its owner's hand, regenerate target creature. And then we have Recurring Nightmare, which I never associated Recurring Nightmare and Attunement, but the association totally makes sense. And then nothing else that's really in that mold, or at least that directly in that mold, as far as this Scryfall search can tell. Weirdly, there was a card before any of these cards called Cycle of Life for one green green that was an enchantment. You could return to its owner's hand. Target creature, you summoned this turn is 0-1 until the beginning of your next upkeep. At the beginning of your next upkeep, put a plus one, plus one counter on that creature. What a weird card. So it shrinks the creature you played this turn, and then next turn puts a plus one, plus one counter on it repeatedly for one green green. Also seems really bad. But anyway, maybe part of a sort of cycle there. There's also Cycle of Life... I said, I, I just said that. <laughs> and Gossamer Chains. These are not the tidiest cards to read, but similarly, they're enchantments that you return to your hand as part of the cost and then target. Unblocked creature deals no combat damage this turn. So there's like a fog. There's a weird get a counter. Yeah, so this was some interesting enchantment space that they were exploring. I guess it's kind of like the seals, but it's a replayable seal. Yeah, it turns out that doing the same thing over and over again is often not the most fun play pattern, which is why I think a lot of these cards have not been revisited in the modern era. But I think Attunement, compared to Recurring Nightmare, Recurring Nightmare, you're just doing literally the same thing probably over and over again. Cycle your Ravenous Chupacabra and some drawing and back and forth, whatever you want to do, yeah. Uh, back and forth forever. You're drawing and discarding different cards, so that's different, right? I think Attunement is really cool here because it is not in a vacuum powerful right it doesn't do anything particularly great on its own but it does allow you to potentially combine it with a lot of other cards that would do some really powerful stuff so i really like that here and i am more than happy for mystic redaction and tutelage to take the hit for this card to find space in the cube without making things broken why do you think patrick and james didn't want to cut these change a version it could be that it could be that they just like winning games and they know how to win with those cards <laughs> i always found these cards i mean they were always very powerful uh i had one notorious game of the turbo cube where i had a like dedicated all-in degenerate mystic redaction combo deck and i kept a like fast opening hand against patrick and on turn one i killed myself before passing the turn to him i basically like my deck popped off and did its thing but the mystic redaction happened to be in like the bottom four cards in my library and i was just like well ggs you win and he had never did anything the whole game it was just like my deck could have been <laughs> Completely non-functional, I would have won. I mean, that's kind of an incredible potential for a game, that you can just get too powerful and just destroy yourself accidentally. Yeah. And it could just still be, like, to try and use my sickle cell anemia metaphor again, that, like, that is the optimal strategy, includes a failure rate of your deck will just explode sometimes. And right. And that might be optimal still. I, th I think it might be. I just think it's not fun per se yeah and there's like a very small handful i think of it's fun as a person watching <laughs> for you to lose to yourself yeah i mean it was, it was fun for everybody that one time to be honest but there's also a smattering of cards that are pretty hard counters to being milled out you have elixir of immortality in here you have the crown thing the black skull i'm gonna look it up cranial archive thank you a couple cards that just reshuffle your library which does make it a lot harder for the mill deck to beat you those are also i think ostensibly in here for the mill deck so if you end up in my situation you yeah, can at least really sure. shuffle your library back and just keep going i didn't happen to get one of those cards for that particular draft i i always just found that mill is in so many environments just a very 
insular strategy. And here it, I think, feels more at home because life totals are kind of an abstract idea anyway. Like, it's rarely coming down to a race. Like, decks are going to do broken things. One of them is going to go over the top, and that's going to result in somebody dying. And because there's not a lot of, like, interplay in combat or anything like that, I think Mill feels a little more at home here. But nevertheless, it still just felt like, okay, well, now my opponent's doing a thing that I can't possibly interact with, and I just have to try and race them, basically, with whatever I'm doing. So anyway, I'm not going to miss these, and I think it's a great example of making a small change to card swaps that will have a pretty big impact on the meta and how things shake out. Yeah, I was thinking about this set of swaps, and I feel like something that we say pretty often is that Cube is pretty forgiving, it's pretty flexible, you can make big changes if you want, It's not gonna. you're not going to ruin magic by making a you know, the difference between one or two cards, right? But at the same time, I feel like we are going to say the opposite right here, that a few changes can actually have a huge impact on the gameplay. And I think the difference is it can have a huge impact on sort of what that ultimate peak of power level, what that optimal strategy is in an environment for sure. But that's only going to be, you know, one person in the draft that's doing that thing. And, uh, you know, that those sort of second order of now I know that this doesn't exist, so I'm not going to draft a uh, way to reach. I'm not going to draft the Elixir of Immortality as highly because I know this now. That's the kind of thing that a lot of drafters are not going to experience on their first draft or two. So I think even though in, in one sort of le- level of abstraction, this is a huge change, it's not going to drastically change the, the sort of first experience that somebody sits down at the table. No, I don't think it's actually going to change the draft almost at all, right? Like, the pow- most powerful cards are still going to be the most powerful cards, right? The cards that these worked the best with were all the broken fast mana, mm-hmm. you know, card positive things that just worked naturally already. I just think that what it's going to mean is that the decks that are very frequently 2-0-ing and often 3-0-ing are just going to be maybe different decks now because these cards were fairly dominant at least in like the blue corner of the color pie, which brings me to one of my questions I have about the Turbo Cube and how you think about it. Do you think of the colors as having like an identity in this cube? Not as much. I mean, because so much of the cube is based around interactions between individual cards, this is really kind of a, a combo-y cube. So it's much less about I'm drafting blue and it's all about this as much as it is about I have Mystic Redaction what's my plan to make that work? Or I have Underworld Breach, or I have Aetherflux Reservoir. It's like these individual cards that really dictate your plan, much more so than in my regular cube, which is just about combat. You know, you want a density of good creatures and combat tricks in your green deck to be able to push through damage. It's like, that's much more about the holistic identity of swaths of cards as opposed to individual cards. And because there's a lot of card draw, a lot of cards with cycling, just ways that you can dig through your deck in the Turbo Cube, not only do those individual cards form good strategies, they also form a lot of the gameplay because you can get to them pretty consistently. Yeah. I kind of agree. I think the colors do have a little bit less of identity, but I did look through the list and... You know, I think there's definitely a hate bears, like, Staxi control identity to white, for sure. Yeah, that's that's true. So maybe I should caveat that a little bit more. Like, blue, black, and red all kind of feel like, yeah, black has a little bit more removal, and it's helpful to have that to beat some of these hate bears. White has this little bit of hate bear theme. Green is the color that has maybe the strongest identity, just because it doesn't have as many cards that do those kinds of broken things. So I've kind of tried to create a different strategy with you know, stuff like Fast Bond and Horn of Greed and Tireless Tracker, as well as sort of the Jade Mage thing, which, if we're honest, isn't as good as the Tireless Tracker plan. Yeah, so green more has, I think, a distinct uh, identity to it. Yeah, well, what I was going to say is I think that most of the colors have a pretty strong identity, actually, maybe by accident, right? Like, white has the hate bear thing going on. Mm-hmm. Blue gets, in Degenerate Magic, blue just gets the best cards, and that's true here, too, I think. It also has the most artifact synergies and there's a lot of artifacts floating around this environment so you get a lot of just naturally good cards there skipping black for a moment let's come back to black i think red is by far the aggro color here like it definitely just, it is the that is the deck that can kill you without passing the tournament you did on tuesday right you you won on turn one yeah i did have one game where i won on turn one it was actually less so well it was on the back of having a creature with haste was it, Subira, it, was, right? it was it was on the back of having uh basically a card what is it even called? Ring of Volcus. It's like a Swiftfoot Boots, but does a little bit more, so that's what's in here. Putting that on an Arcbound Tracker that I also put a Nettle Cyst on, and then had a Chrome Host Seed Shark that I could basically just dump my whole hand and make a ton of artifacts, and the Nettle Cyst made my Tracker huge, uh, and swing for exactly 20. So it was a little bit more of an artifact aggro. You were playing a red deck, though. Yes. 
but anybody can play Ring of Volcus if they believe in themselves. Sure, I suppose. <laughs> and to be honest, like if we're talking about degenerate strategies, I think the degenerate aggro strategies are really cool because they never kill you in the same way on the ter- on the first turn. Right. It happens sometimes, sometimes. It's devilish valet that gets huge. Sometimes it's Lelia that you exile a bunch of cards with galvanic relay, and that all counts. And you just I've I've also won on turn one with Lelia galvanic relay, and that is a lot of fun. So I I like those decks, and red is definitely the place where those decks all shine and come together. You mentioned the land matters stuff and the Jade Mage plan in green. Whether the Jade Mage plan is up to par is another discussion, but it's definitely there. It's a cohesive identity. And I think what ends up happening with black here is, you know, black is the color of removal and the color of hand hate and and discard. And you include, like you do in every other color, a bunch of cards that are radically recontextualized and radically more powerful because they are turboified because their costs are reduced so you know a card probably most people don't know is deadly designs it's one in a no, black i'm sure everybody knows this card everybody remembers from what was this conspiracy limited <laughs> yeah it's one in a black for an enchantment and any player can pay two to put a plot counter on it and when there are five or more plot counters on deadly designs sacrifice it if you do destroy it to two target creatures so this one is actually reads kind of very clunkily for somebody who's new because it's kind of like the choice mode on Council's Judgment in 1v1. Like, your opponent never wants to put a counter on it, except in rare circumstances where they do, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, the way that this is supposed to play is, in a multiplayer environment, you cast this for two mana, and then you tell your opponents, hey, this guy has two huge threats, everybody chip in two mana, and we can destroy both those threats, no problem. But here, it doesn't cost anything, so you just pay that one black mana, you destroy two creatures at sorcery speed. Or later on, if you want to... Or you can get into a trap where you cast this when your opponent has no creatures and your opponent just says, I pay two mana. I pay two mana. Uh, which what would you like to destroy? <laughs> which is a may. You don't have to destroy anything, which is nice. But I, I definitely had a situation where I unknowingly was like, I'll just play this out because I have a mana gorge or hydra I want to grow. And yeah. then the opponent asked, what does that card do? And they were actually new to the cube. And I explained what the card did. And I was like, and actually, you should just pay, <laughs> you should do this, you should just pay this right now five times to destroy this. And they were like, Are you, is this a trap? I'm like, no, it's not a trap. I kind of messed up. Go ahead and bumble <laughs> up my deadly designs. So, you know, all of your coercions, your stupors, your deadly designs, a bunch of cards in black that are a lot more powerful because of the discount, for sure. But they're all reactive, and they're all kind of, like, ultimately limited in their impact, right? Like, how good can a Teferi's Tutelage be here? It can be this whole card that mills your opponent for 40 on turn one, right? Like, it has this kind of extraordinarily high ceiling while deadly designs is great on rate the ceiling is still you killed two creatures which is good it's great for one mana but in an environment where tons of broken stuff is going on it doesn't really hold up i think to what other colors have access to and that's really true for almost i think every card in black there are a few exceptions so yogmoth's will is in this cube and it's fantastic here like all the best cards i think you don't have to be a heavily black deck to play Yogmoth's will, but for obvious reasons, that card is really strong. I think Force of Despair has a really important role here. I don't know if it's like crazy powerful, but I, I really like it and I take it highly. But beyond that, maybe Toxic Deluge is a card you can yeah. point at as one that Yogmoth's will and Deluge are like the overperforms. two cards that stand out to me. Ultimately, I think there's just not a lot of pools into black, and a lot of the cards, even though they are a lot better, they're not as much better as some of the cards in other colors, right? Like, Devil's yeah. Felt Like It Just Kill You on turn one. A lot of these hate bears just say your opponent's deck can't do anything until they answer this card. The blue cards have really high ceilings for all the different combo applications we mentioned. Jade Mage could just go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> But Maybe the one other card in black that stands out is Shadow the Grave, which buys back everything that you've discarded this turn. It's, definitely, it's a high definitely not on one. No, really comparable right. in terms of power level to Yawgmoth's Will in the average deck, but you can definitely build around this, and it's a card that rewards you a lot if, you, if you're able to. No, it's true. I, I do really like that one, and you're right. That is maybe another one that has a kind of high ceiling. So anyway, I'm not sure how this came up, but we were talking about black months ago, and actually because I have been working on my neoclassical cube, which includes a Megrim combo deck. So Megrim is an enchantment, two and a black. Whenever an opponent discards a card, they lose two life. And the way you play it in like a combo-oriented deck in the neoclassical cube is you combine it with wheel effects, basically. You cast Megrim into Wheel of Fortune. They discard three, four, five cards, lose a ton of life. You play Megrim into Memory Jar, and they're usually discarding all seven unless they drew any instants because you're always going to crack the jar on your turn. You get to deal 14 to them. And there's also a couple other redundant pieces for this effect. So I've really enjoyed that card there. And for some reason, it occurred to me, like, wait a minute. 
I was actually specifically thinking about how much I'm always bummed out by harsh mentor in this cube. This is one of the red hate berries. It's one and a red for a 2-2. Whenever an opponent activates an ability of an artifact creature or land on the battlefield, if it isn't a mana ability, harsh mentor deals 2 damage to that player. This card is still good here, but every time I play it or look at it in a pack, I just wish it hit cycling, because cycling is one of the most common abilities, and this cares about activating abilities, but not of cards in hand. It has to be a card on the battlefield, so it doesn't hit cycling. And I was just thinking, how can we punish these cycling decks more? And Megram occurred to me, and I suggested Megram and Liliana's Caress, which is a, a cheaper version of Megram that's functionally identical here due to the two-mana discount, and a couple other of discard cards that we added in. What did you think about this package before we played with it on Tuesday? I'm slightly skeptical of it just because it seems like a lot of strategies here, which is which makes us not a great argument. Very fragile to, or, or very much influenced by whether or not you're on the play or the draw. If you can both afford to cast your Megram on turn one when you're on the play and then are uh, against an opponent that either just needs to cycle a bunch or you can also cast a discard spell at the same turn, that's going to be a great start. But if your opponent's already, li literally a lot of decks will just play their entire hand out turn one, at least the decks that I like to draft, uh, which means that then your opponent casts Megram and it's like, cool, I have enchantment. Go. Yeah, all that is true. And I think it is also a thing that is true of a lot of the decks in the cube where almost everything is better on the play here. I mean, really everything literally is better on the play. So it's hard to compare that to say how much worse is this on the draw compared to, you know, a counterspell deck or any of the other sort of degenerate combos that you're yeah. always trying to do as, as fast as possible. But it does have a lot of proactive strategy with a lot of the cards that are the discard spells, whether those are mind rots or targeted dis discard spells that are already in the cube. Yeah, there already are a lot of discard spells in here because you included a lot of the coercion effects because there's a lot of good two and a black discard spells you've never heard of that when they only cost black are ostensibly good. I've never been particularly drawn to any of these cards, though, for all the reasons I just mentioned, right? Their ceiling is still very low. It's like, okay, I get to better thought seize you, and your hand is not even going to resemble the same hand you have right now next turn. Best case scenario, I took one of your pieces of, like, power, like an egg or something, and slowed you down a little bit, but you also have four cyclers in your hand, so it's not even like I necessarily disrupted your strategy. I just kind of, like, threw this little speed bump in the way. Yeah, I mean, maybe you get lucky and you hit somebody's Monastery Mentor or Psy Master Thopterus, and it's like, cool, you have all these spells you can cast for free now, but it's not going to actually turn into a win. But that is rare, because they might just cycle or draw into that. You gotta put Unearth in here. Why isn't Unearth in here? It gets back those great build-arounds like Psy and Chrome Host Seed Shark and Monastery Mentor. Huh, great point. You probably don't have it in here because... it costs black, which is... Uh... No, I think it's probably in here because you expect people are just going to cycle it all the time, and yeah. you don't like cards that are free cycling unless they're... But I think compared to a lot of the other free cycles you have, that's way more likely to actually be cast. Interesting. Is there not, like, better Unearth? Like, probably not. It's called Reanimate. Yeah. <laughs> but that would be a lot worse in this context, specifically. Yeah, maybe you take one of their payoffs. Hopefully they're not playing a only one payoff deck. And to be honest, like while you describe that being able to be theoretically possible, I've just never seen it happen. I've never seen somebody be like, oh no, turn one coercion, yeah. whatever will I do? It's always just kind of like, okay, I feel great that that's what you're doing with your mana instead of one of these other much more degenerate things we've been mentioning. So I ended up drafting this discard deck on Tuesday when we played this cube last not intentionally, though I did think before the draft, I was like, if there's a chance to play the Megram cards, I do want to do it. And in pack one, I mid-pack saw a pack that had both Megram and Force of Despair. And I took the Force of Despair because I think it's way better. Uh, and I was like, if this, if this Megram wheels, then I'll do it. And the Megram did, in fact, wheel, and I did, in fact, do it. And I got to play both Megram and Liliana's Caress, which was in a later pack because no one else wanted it. I got every card we added for this package with one exception. So let's talk about the cards you added to support this package on Tuesday. It's the two Megrams. It's Fell Spectre, which is a Megram ability stapled to a 1-3 flyer that also makes your opponent discard on ETB. Orcish Bowmasters, which, I mean, kind of fits the that's package. That's kind of just a, a card that's extremely powerful here. <laughs> it is, but it definitely punishes very similar things. It also punishes cycling in a really cool way. Yes, it is standalone powerful, and it was in my deck, but it also does feel kind of similar to me in that it's For like... Sure. We'll talk about this in detail, but I think there's a big difference between stopping your opponent from doing something and punishing them for doing it. And Orcish Bowmasters is firmly in the punishing them for doing it category, compared to all the white hate bear stuff, which is in the stop them from doing it in the first place category. Yeah. So Orcish Bowmasters, and then Waste Not, which is an enchantment for one and a black, so just a black mana here, that says whenever your opponent discards a card, you get one of three effects. If it's a creature, you get to make a 2-2 zombie. If it's a land, you get to add two black mana to your mana pool. And if it's a non-creature, non-land, you get to draw a card. 
The other card we added was Words of Waste. This is the one I didn't have, and this is actually, I think, maybe one of the better pieces for the deck, which is why it got snapped up by another drafter who wasn't playing, like, a discard package. They just thought it was a good card in isolation. I think they were also just like, this card is sick. I remember playing this in, what is this from? Not Odyssey. Uh, Inva- not. It's not Scourge. It's the little Walker guy? I know. Uh, it's not Scourge. It's not Torment. It's not... It's not Legion. Is it Invasion? Is it Invasion? I thought Invasion had the little no, shield. No, Invasion has the domain shield. This is great. Great audio here. It's not Apocalypse. It's not Nemesis. It's not Prophecy. Onslaught. Onslaught. What do you call it when a bunch of little leggy guys come at you? An Onslaught. That's embarrassing. But, you know, we look at these cards too much. Anyway, Words of Waste is part of this really weird cycle of enchantments that have replacement effects for when you draw a card. They all cost one mana in addition to to replacing your draw. Obviously, that means here that they're free. You can just replace any draw you want with this effect. And the Words of Waste replacement effect is just, if you would draw a card instead, your opponent discards one, which I think is really cool and lets you turn a bunch of card draw into discard in a way that is really powerful. And I would have loved that card from my deck if I had gotten it, but I didn't. So I ended up playing this package, and I went 1-2. My deck was not that great. I actually don't think it reflects badly on this package we're describing here. I think just in general, my deck didn't really come together. I was between two very experienced drafters. I got past no power. I ended up with like one piece of power in my deck, and the people on either side of me, you and Aaron, had decks that were full of them. Okay, I only had like three or four. That's a lot more <laughs> than I had, which I mean, it does make a difference, right? Like it if does. the packs are just broken a little differently, I think, I think it, it depends on the strategy, right? For this particular strategy, I think this is very much like a faster combo strategy that benefits even more from the broken fast mana than like a hate bears deck does you still play those in the hate bears deck mm-hmm. you still play them in your green landfall deck but they're not the best cards in your deck right they're just they're fine they, they do they do a thing and they're you know mana positive and card positive so you're going to play them but they're kind of fundamental to the decks that are trying to put together specific pieces and go off in this very synergistic way so anyway i think my deck was okay the megrims were a little bit worse than I expected. I was really excited about them because of how much cycling does happen, and two life per cycling is, is a big cost, but kind of what I said about Orcish Bowmasters, the fact that they let your opponent do the thing, but then punish them for it, meant that, yeah, I had a lot of opponents that went to four, because they cycled a bunch, but they still cycled all those cards away and still got to do their thing, and ultimately life totals are a little bit of an illusion here, and so they could afford to pay 10, 12, 14 life to their cycling cards for their deck to still go off, which was fine i think if, i think ultimately those megrims are still going to be fine punisher pieces like they they work as a like element to just punish your opponent for doing what's very prevalent in this environment but for them to be really good in your deck i think you will need ways to combo with them which i, I did actually have i did have a wheel of fortune in, in my deck and yogmoth's wheel so i got to wheel yogmoth's wheel wheel in one turn which is nice. pretty cool and i did kill somebody with a megrim that way once but i think that's what you're going to need in order for them to be really good uh, and, like, super appealing. Yeah. I mean, I think from a big picture perspective in terms of the way that that impacts gameplay, I, I think that's a good place to be because it's not super fun to yeah. be just like, This is not oh. a criticism of them. This is just me yeah. just kind of reporting where they landed. But it is it is a fun gameplay when your opponent plays a thing and it's like, okay, that has a real cost to me. I'm going to have to pay a lot of life, but my strategy depends on me cycling through a bunch of my cards to get to my win condition how am i going to balance this out to like do i just want to drag it out and try and put up other defenses and draw into my win condition naturally or is it worth taking some amount of risk to get there or how do i want to sideboard against this and i think also that the metagame matters here because if this becomes a strategy that people know about then making sure you have a plan b against it or have a sideboard plan against it is again i think a fun place to be as far as a player I had a similar uh, interesting matchup where my opponent had Void Mirror, which counters everything that uh, you cast without paying mana for, which was very, very difficult for my deck to deal with because my whole plan was put Chromos Seed Shark into play and then dump my hand full of free artifacts. You were doing, yeah, kind of the classic broken artifact stuff that the Turbo Cube is known for. Which is, I mean, Chromos Seed Shark is really quite a card here. Really brings the room together there. And we should say that Void Mirror was a very contentious addition because I think, me included, a lot of us were like, any deck will play this on the play just drop it after they've done all their unfair... Because it is a symmetrical effect, right? But you just drop it after you've done all your unfair stuff, and then we're like, well, your opponent can't do anything. But I think Tuesday's draft really showed me, because you can explain what happened to you with Void Mirror, but I played against it once in my deck and just didn't care about it at all. Yeah. I didn't have as many... I didn't have the powerful spells that I wanted. Like, I didn't have the free stuff that Void Mirror would shut down. And so it didn't... It literally didn't affect me at all over the course of, like, four turns. I just continued to play the game, and there was no negative effect. I never tried to cast a spell without spending mana. 
Yeah, that's exactly what happened in my match where my opponent... Well, would, it doesn't sound like... Not quite, right? Well, the first part. <laughs> the first part was uh, my opponent would play their hand out and then play Void Mirror last and say go. And it was like, well, my hand doesn't really work. Um, but their deck was also not uh, threatening to kill me super quickly. So I just had to figure out, okay, since I can't cast most of my cards, I have Jehoira in my deck, which draws me cards whenever I cast an artifact. And to be clear, you actually can cast you your can cast them. They, they just, just get countered. They just get countered. So my plan was, well, I'm still going to... Just cast, try, do my best to get Chrome Host Seed Shark and Joyra into play, and then I will just cast all these artifacts which are going to get countered through this Void Mirror, and they're all going to go to the graveyard, but I'm still going to be drawing cards and making sharks at the same time, or making incubator tokens, whatever, whatever they are. So it was, it was fun to have that counterplay of, like, Void Mirror is very good against me, but there still is a way for me to get around that. And then I also had uh, Rebuild in my deck, so it was uh, an interesting plan to, can I bounce the void mirror just for one turn that card uh, returns all artifacts to their owner's hands and then recast all of my stuff before the void mirror can hit play again and i've had actually matches in the past where i'm trying to remember how this happened exactly but void mirror ended up in play i think three or four different times on multiple on both player sides it kept getting stolen or recast or destroyed and redrawn because everybody was just like yeah you know as long as i'm ahead on board i want this in play and we have ways to do that so it's turned out to be a more interesting game all that to say that i think that those kinds of things that aren't completely shutting you out but still have some ways around them create some of the more interesting gameplay and megram is a great example of a card that just puts a lot of pressure on you in a certain way but that still gives players choices underneath them yeah i mean after playing with it even going one two i i'm excited to play with it again and i think it still is a pretty decent fit for the environment one of my games against aaron i had a turn one orcish bowmasters that if it had been a megram he would not have been able to win but orcish bowmasters he drew i think 10 or 11 additional cards so i did 11 to him and had a giant token but he still just won on his turn and so it was like okay well that is (laughs) i mean that's hilarious but also is i think a a great illustration of why the turbo cube is very weird and that both these cards cost one mana and one of them will do twice as much damage here and that's really important well yeah not quite twice as much right because some of the cards he was drawing was off of casting little trinkets in which case he's not discarding a card he wasn't just cycling good point but it's, it would have been better, certainly. I remember like watching the cards go by and being like, if it had just been a Megram, this would have been putting him under much, much more pressure. The card that really ended up impressing me more than I expected was Waste Knot, the enchantment that makes stuff when your opponent discards cards. I didn't think this would be that great because my first thought was, well, discarding a land to give you mana, certainly they could just do it on their turn, and it's very rare I'm going to have anything to spend that mana on. So if they have, like, lands they're going to cycle away, then they can just do that then. I also just, I guess, maybe underestimated the value of getting, a, you know, a few token creatures here or there. This card ended up really impressing me, and I thought was also super fun. There was a couple games where I had this in my opening hand and was able to play it into a discard spell off of a piece of fast mana. I did have one egg, and I had Salvage Mana Worker, which is like, you know... That's basically power. A tier and a half below power, I think. I mean, it's not quite there, but it's definitely fast mana. Never replaces itself. It makes it quite a bit worse, but it's still fast mana. And when I play this on turn one and then cast a discard spell, and, and the best ones for this by far were the cards that make you discard two for one mana, like a stupor or something, where my opponent was like, well, do I risk giving him more mana right now? Is he going to follow up with more discard spells if I discard... Uh, land to give him more mana, even though this land is the thing I want to discard? Is he going to find more discard spells if I discard these non-creature, non-land cards, and let him draw cards? It was like a really interesting tension, and while navigating that, my opponent also had to figure out how to keep cards that would actually allow them to like function. Ultimately, what I really hope these cards do, and I think they will, at least in a small way, is make the cards like Coercion and Stupor that are otherwise, I think, theoretically cool, because they are way more powerful than usual, but for all the reasons I mentioned, not big draws and not high picks because they do have kind of a ceiling give them a like a home where it's like okay now not only is my coercion taking a card from them but in combination with waste not and megram it's like part of an engine that lets me kind of churn through a bunch of cards and end up like locking them out in some way so waste not was great i loved that i wish that the creature that was almost a copy of waste not bone miser was actually a copy of waste not but bone miser cares about you discarding not your opponent discarding which is something you reminded me of which i don't think is I think it's differently good. I think it, you could still maybe make a case for that here, even though it's five mana or three mana in this environment. Does anything in the cube currently cost five? I don't. I think that the only card. I mean, was... there's a lot of cycling cards that sometimes get cast where their non-cycling side is five mana or three mana, effectively. 
Reservoirs 4, I mean, I, I don't think it's completely out of the question, but it would not belong in the same deck that Waste Not belongs in, which I was... After this draft, I was like, I was so thrilled with Waste Not, I was trying to find other cards that were functionally similar with it. So, afterwards, I started thinking about other ways to possibly make this deck a little better, because I was definitely pretty committed to the discard thing, right? My deck was mostly black, it had some red for things like Wheel of Fortune and a couple of, like, you know, just generically good red cards, but it was... a it was the deck that was the identity that Black ostensibly is in this cube. I do think it could have been a lot better with a little bit of power. And also, I lost all my rolls, which you know, did, does that's, matter. That's skill issue. Does matter. I, I didn't die on turn one ever, so I don't want to pretend like that was the case. But, you know, it, it matters at the end of the day. Other cards I came up with after some Scry Falling. I think Dark Deal was the first one, which is essentially like the Black Wheel of Fortune. And it's quite a bit worse. It says each player discards all the cards in his or her hand, then draws that many cards minus one. Which is... A lot worse. I'm not even sure if it's good, but it fits the bill. It does what the deck wants to do. Another spicy one that came to me was Gyre Reach Sanitarium. This is a legendary land that taps for a colorless, or you can pay to and tap it, so just tap it, to make each player draw, then discard. It's really slow, right? Like, it takes a land drop, and even with, like, Meagerman play, it's still only hitting your opponent for two a turn, guaranteed. But specifically with Waste Knot, I just thought it was... I had a couple games, actually, where because of my discard spells we did reach a sort of, like, stasis where the game was going to go on for four or five or six turns, which rarely happens in a Turbo Cube. And I was looking for ways that I could have continually generated ongoing discard, which, like you pointed out, was I largely couldn't because anything my opponent drew, they just cast. They, they, they weren't going to be left right. with a card in their hand and then pass the turn. So, you know, as bad as the coercions are on the draw on turn one, they're terrible on turn four. It's like, well, you're not even going to have any cards in hand by that point, no matter what your deck is doing. And so Sanitarium would fill an interesting slot there in that it would allow me to just continue to, like, chip away at them with whatever my discard synergies were piece by piece. I'm kind of surprised, to be honest, that there aren't more symmetrical looter effects. Like, there's a Lore Broker, which is a 1-2 in blue that has each player draw a card and discard a card. It just seems like something that they would do more often. I think it would be very bad (laughs) in general. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's Anvil of Boggardin? I honestly think Anvil of Boggardin would be pretty good here. Is it not in here already? It's not. I would love to see Anvil here. I think it's a cool card. And all these cards also, like, you know, Sanitarium and Anvil, like, there's a lot of decks that would proactively use them that just want to dig through the deck more, and they use their graveyard synergistically, they have Flashback, they have Yawgmoth's Will. So I think these cards would not be just for this deck, but they would also help boost this deck a little bit. I think Tiny Bones Trinket Thief could be the Black Jade Mage, which is to say, I don't know has, how good has it is. Has Tiny Bones been in before, or did I just think about it? You're asking the wrong guy. I've never seen it in here. Okay. This is a legendary creature skeleton rogue for one and a black, so it's basically just a black. It's a one-two, and it says, the beginning of each end step, if an opponent discarded a card this turn, you draw a card, and you lose one life. I think this is actually quite good. It's got another activated ability here, which actually might be relevant for four black black. Each opponent with no cards in hand loses 10 life. That could honestly come up. There were definitely games I had where the game dragged out because I had made my opponent discard a bunch of resources, but I lacked a proactive strategy to like close the game quickly where I could have just had enough mana to activate Tiny Bones and end the game, which would have been cool. Yeah, I think the bigger issue for me putting this card in this environment is just that anything that says at the beginning of your end step or beginning of your upkeep there just aren't a lot of end steps or upkeeps so they end up just not doing all that much but if this is part of a slower more controlling strategy that is actually trying to make more turns happen uh, that starts to make a lot more sense i think it might be and i said it's a jade mage because i don't think it's great here the same way that jade mage isn't great but it keys off of what the color is trying to do and it like indicates that to drafters and i think like in my deck, I certainly would have played it over... I Ultimately, this deck, I think, also suffered because I was just short on playables because I had too many removal spells and discard spells. I was yeah. like, I'm not playing the fifth removal spell or the sixth removal spell. It's, it's really nice to have one, right? I'm really high on Force of Despair, and I'm really happy to also have like one Obnoxious Cruelty in my deck or something in addition to that because a lot of opponents will have key things to remove. But I don't want five removal spells in my Turbo Cube deck because they just clog your hand. You just you, you draw a bunch of cards, and then all of a sudden you're out of things that cycle. You don't have any way to get them out of your hand because your opponent has no targets. They're really big liabilities, I think. So Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe that could be a little bit of the way the draft broke down because I, I, f- I feel like my expectation would be a lot of those removal spells would get splashed pretty frequently because if I'm playing the blue-red aggro deck that I always play, I also love to have one or two ways to just like hard deal with a Phyrexian Sensor or a 
Boromir or whatever that's just going to shut my deck down. But if people are not... I think you're alone in that, frankly. I don't think many people are looking if to splash If other people were drafting, drafting like me and just splashing Obnixilus' Cruelty, we wouldn't have this issue. Which is all by way of saying, if my deck had just had more things that were playable, like I had to play more lands than I wanted to because I was just like, well, some of these cards just like, are not good. Like, Risk Factor just was not good in my deck. Oh, that that bums me out, too. I'm sorry. I love to just cast Risk Factor, and then my opponent's like, cool, I'll take... What does it do? Three damage? Four. Four damage? Great. And then cast a Fiery Confluence, and just... That's great. You gotta try that sometime. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, my like double Megram Orgish Bowmaster deck should have been one that could have actually taken advantage of Risk Factor, but I definitely... Did not ever have a spot where it made any sense. Damn. They got to be so low on resources for that to work. So anyway, Tiny Bones, I think, could work. The one thing I actually don't like about Tiny Bones is like a, a purely... Bones are too small. Well, no, it's it's at the beginning of each end step trigger, which means that if your opponent has a bunch of cards to cycle, they can just cycle them in the end step after the trigger goes off, and then they never actually trigger it. Yeah, actually, you know what I like least about this is not that that is possible, but that people have to know that, and if you're playing with somebody that's like... Right. Even if they're pretty enfranchised, but they're dealing with so much that is weird about this cube, and they like you cast tiny bones and they start cycling stuff before the end step, I would feel bad. I'd be like, you want to wait until. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for all those reasons, that is my least favorite thing about the card. I think, I think it's worth noting that on their own turn, there's still going to be tons of opportunities for them. Like your opponent is going to like, definitely. It's, it, it's it is each end step. That is true. Right. It's, it's if they cycled at all, right? And so they're going to like you know, pop the tiny bone seal and be like, all right, fine. This turn, I'm going to be cycling because my deck does that. And so you get to draw one card at the end of the turn. That's totally going to be worth it a lot of the time. This is also going to get me... I maybe have a bad habit if my opponent's like, I cast my first spell and I'm like, cool, I responded, cycle four cards because I like to take game actions as soon as possible. And then, but then if you play tiny, tiny bones. bones after, yeah. Yeah, they can't respond to you casting tiny bones to like cycle things because it checks you, at the end step. So they can respond if they want, exactly. but they will have cycled cards that turn yeah. and discarded them. So that's something. I think tiny bones is cool. Another card that's in the tiny bones space of, I don't know how good it is, but it the is synergistic, space. is uh, Davriel Rogue Shadow Mage. This is the downtick only black uncommon planeswalker from War of the Spark. Two and a black, so just a black. For three loyalty planeswalker that has minus one target player discards a card, which is certainly not why you'd be playing this card here, right? Like three discards over three turns. For all the reasons we mentioned, not really that good. I mean, you're you're gonna be doing it. You'll be doing it. It still means you're not you're at card parity for casting this card, which Megram does not do. Yep. I think the thing that matters is at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, if that player has one or fewer cards in hand, Davriol deals two damage to them. Which is just kind of like, uh, if you've gotten to the point where Megram is no longer good in the game because everybody's just out of resources and you're top-decking in a grindy game, then Davril becomes good. And again, I did have two or three games that Davril would have been great in because we were just kind of like at a really slow grind and Davril would have just you know chipped away and closed the game out much more quickly. So similarly, like these cards are not as good as Waste Not, Words of Waste, Orcish Bowmaster, certainly. They're not going to be the reason I end up drafting Black. The same way that Jade Mage is not the reason I end up drafting green. Sorry, no offense to Jade Mage. But no, you want to be playing Curse of Predation and... Uh, why am I forgetting? I just want to be playing Fast Bond and Azusa and Horn of Greed and all the multiple land effects. Which, now that we're talking, why is there no Lotus Cobra in here? Uh, That's a good question. It's such a natural fit for all of the land stuff you're doing. I like had to sure. do a quadruple take to be like, why isn't Lotus Cobra in here? That's going to be a great addition to green, I think, personally. It's funny, I think... I think I've heard you say before that, like, because of the turbo discount and because of how much free stuff there is, that, like, mana is not often the choke point. I feel like mana very often is the choke point in what you can do in a turn. And so... Really? Because I always play my whole hand turn one. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think there's actually a lot of times where having a Lotus Cobra... Like, I mean, Salvage Mana Worker is a great example, right? I don't think that card is power. It's not as good as Egg. But for those that don't know, Salvage Mana Worker is two mana, so zero mana, for a one-two... And you can pay two mana to make a mana of any color once a turn. So, so basically... It's, it's a prismite that they fixed for the turbo cube. Exactly, yeah. So basically it's just you get one free mana a turn. It's free to cast. You get a free mana off of it. And you can also use it on your opponent's turn. So you get a free mana each turn. That card never replaces itself. It's not card positive. So it's not as good as any of these eggs. But I do still think it's really, really good here because mana is so often what I'm choked on when I'm trying to actually make my deck come together. Yeah, I mean, you also cast it I think it's great in blue decks where you can cast it for nothing. You pay nothing to make a mana to do something else, and then you have mana up for a counter spell on your opponent's turn. Yes, for sure. Okay, we can cut some green spells. We can cut up Hooting Mandrels. Who needs that? The, the Delve stuff. I'm sorry. Grimag Angler, Hooting Mandrels, you are just not. 
Look, we're, we gotta try stuff. Mirror Superior is not getting there. These cards are certainly not getting there. Yeah, fair. Okay, Mirror Superior is fine. If Mirror Superior is not getting there, as a Mirror Superior is not a huge bomb, but it's still quite good in like we an can't aggro deck. Cut it. It's too cool to it's cut. Too cool to cut. I totally agree, but I think it also sets the bar for how good a like undercosted beater can be. Sure, it's not a it's not a bomb. Therefore, a delve creature is I think a non-starter. One last discard spell I came up with here, which is just another unburdened variant, a Heartless Pillage, which. Sorcery for two and a black, target opponent discards two cards. There's a lot of those that have some little upside. The little upside in this one is raid. So if you attack with a creature this turn, you create a treasure token, which means that this spell was ostensibly free to cast and also will maybe fix your mana. You know, you spend a black mana to cast this. You can then have a mana of any color to cast something else. I think that's probably one of the better one mana discard twos in this cube. Not as good as Stupor, but probably the next best one, I'm guessing, for yeah, this environment. Yeah, I don't honestly how I missed this, because there are a bunch of these variations of Mind Drop with set mechanic, uh, and this one does seem pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very easy, I think, to overlook them when the set comes out, because... Because I look at every card that costs two and a single color pip every time Yeah, but you have to, like, to process out. it every time, like, is this... Be- I don't know, it's, it seems like a lot. I have a couple more little suggestions here for Black that I already mentioned to you, but I want to mention on air just to like round out this discussion. These are not related to the discard deck, but are just other cards I think are generically good here. I think Frexian Rager is great here, and you seem receptive to adding this in. Uh, yeah, you don't have to twist my arm to get me to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's a one mana 2-2 that draws a card and loses a life. I think that's fine here. It's like great filler. It's exactly the kind of card I would have much rather had over my third, fourth, fifth, sixth removal spells in my deck. Like, Just give me anything to like keep the wheels going. And the fact that it if you build a synergistic deck, finds you more of your synergistic cards. Like, it can kind of just fill an empty space, which is nice. I also think Priest of Gix is fantastic here, and it's got such cool old-school flair. Like, the original printing of Priest of Gix is a card I remember from when I was a kid, the art being very odd and sexual. <laughs> Interesting. It's just it's a very ripped, uh, you know, topless man who's part machine. But uh, this is just a two and a black for a 2-1 that when it enters the battlefield, you add black, black, black to your mana pool. And you're on Ardent Electromancer in red, which is a similar That's thing true. for this red mana. That's basically the same. It's very similar. But uh, breeds cleaner. It breeds cleaner, and I think it's actually better. Electromancer, as a baseline, is free, right? But Yeah, it always triggers on itself, so it's... Yeah, I, I think that the party thing on that card is kind of flavor text or trinket text but i i love that card in the aggressive decks because again so often it's like well what's going to stop me from killing them on turn one here it's like can i get to that third red mana on this turn or not and similarly if i had priest of gix to start my turns with let me priest of gix into waste not into two discard spells like that's the best possible start i can ask for i mean that, that that's an incredible start i think those are other cool additions that can maybe give this deck some legs yeah something else that i was thinking about in black when i was just looking at more options here there are a lot of two and a black cards that have something to do with getting value off of sacrificing things. So if we're doing things like playing your Phyrexian Rager and your Priest of Gix that are just making yeah. some bodies incidentally while you are making mana and digging through your deck, stuff like that, having other ways to just use those bodies as a resource could be very cool. And specifically what what is appealing there is for a brief moment, I included Bitter Ordeal, which is the card with Gravestorm and it lets you rip cards out of your opponent's library, which is cool, but confusing. Uh, I think it's also very powerful and kind of... Well, it turned out it doesn't... It triggers only on permanents going from the battlefield to the graveyard. Oh, it has not to be from things, battlefield. Not, not it things can't be things cycled. Not permanents that you cycle, which Interesting. was... Interesting. I know we had some confusion about that because Turbo Cube's weird. It's, it's a lot to keep track of, which is maybe another knock against it. But if, if there is more of a get things from the, the battlefield into the graveyard kind of strategy, then that, that starts to become an interesting card. Because again, some decks will have a few key cards that they really need or you know, maybe it's key interaction you just cannot beat a phyrexian sensor otherwise so you it, it might end up being just a powerful for sure uh, counterplay if it literally is just permanents that go to the graveyard then i think that could be interesting i think overall the like play pattern of i just rip all the good cards out of your deck is like miserable to play against it's like okay well i gotta keep but playing if we're gonna now. do it somewhere <laughs> that's true this is the one place where it would make sense so I, i'm definitely open to playing it again if you are looking for more cards in the sort of sacrifice venue, another card I came up with in my search was Ruthless Knave. Two and a black for a 3-2. Yeah. It's got an activated ability for two and a black and sacrificing a creature. You make two treasure tokens. So that ability, once you pay into it, will be a mana positive ability. Obviously, you have to keep throwing creatures into it, which is not going to be possible indefinitely. But there's definitely potential there for this to be good. I'm not sure it is, but there's probably some decks that can really take advantage of that. Let's close, Anthony, on... What are you looking for to determine whether or not these changes 
over the course of the next few drafts are successful or unsuccessful? Like, what will you be looking for and what kind of feedback are you hoping to get from players that will either cement your commitment to this package or make you cut it and try something else? I think the thing that I'm always looking for in the Turbo Cube is is maybe two things. One is just having more discrete deck diversity and not just have everybody be a purely just, I'm going to do the artifact combo, which I think we've been fairly successful at that. A lot of the decks that counter that kind of gameplay have become good enough that when you're playing with a deck of people that are pretty familiar with the cube, people do respect that and they have a plan mm-hmm. B. And the second thing is just that, like we've sort of hinted at or said directly a couple times, this is a fast cube where being on the play versus the draw matters a ton. So I think that even if these decks really can profit off of taking advantage of, you know, being on the play so you can force your opponent to discard a lot of cards, if the games still take longer and there's still more back and forth, that could potentially still lead to overall feeling less lopsided in terms of that dice roll, even if the person doing this knows that that's not true. And I think it works a little bit with some of the flagship cards in Black we already mentioned, like Force of Despair and Toxic Deluge. Those are great cards that kind of reset who was on the play in a lot of cases. I mean, there's a lot of non-creature permanents that matter, but being able to start your turn with a board wipe and then do your whole thing afterwards means that, you know, even if your aggro deck pops off on turn one, unless you literally kill me, I just get to wipe the board and then make you discard a bunch of cards. And then we set up for a long game where I know that I have these engines that are going to grind you out eventually. I like the idea of black becoming the, I mean, becoming the, it kind of already is, but maybe it's just really underperforming, like being the control color here. Where yeah. it's the one that's most likely to have removal for your key pieces. It's the one that's most likely to be able to thought seize an important piece away or coercion an important piece away and like take apart your combo. And yeah. then I think the way to do that is to have like a synergistic core that works with the cards you want to be in that engine already. Yeah. And we had also talked about some of the new black removal that also can hit enchantments, which I think that for what's in here could make a lot more sense. Because if you are the control color, you also need to deal with that fast bond or... Mystic Redaction's gone, but maybe you can... as someone that got my absolute... Can you even... What do you do about Attunement? It's like Recurring Nightmare. You just can't deal with it, right? I think you have to stop the things that make Attunement good. Like, Attunement is not that good unless your opponent also has a thing in play that benefits them from discarding or triggers off them drawing additional cards. Like, it's it's a cool build-around. It's like the... I guess you deal with the creatures instead of the Recurring Nightmare, which never actually worked, so... (laughs) But that's because Attunement is not a graveyard, though. Anyway, as someone who lost to Molten Nursery from Aaron's deck yeah, on Tuesday. Too. That was the card that just killed me, even though I... And he didn't even bother. He could have killed the Bowmasters, and he didn't even bother. He was like, whatever, I don't <laughs> care. I'm just going to kill you instead. Uh, Aaron's so rude. He just he just always does that He's like not. He's the kindest man ever. But it's funny. I literally, for some reason, like I've seen Nettle Sentinel, the creature, essentially the creature version of Molten Nursery, a million times in this cube. I feel like it's like a card I identify as like a turbo cube build around. I just had never seen the card Molten Nursery before. No one, no, one, I've never played it. No one ever played it against me, and it's just a much, much, much better Nettle Drone, Nettle Sentinel. Right, sorry, Nettle Drone. I'm like, Nettle isn't drone. that the green guy? Oh God, it's too many Magic cards. I mean, they do reuse specific words, like you know, the word Nettle is on so many Magic cards, and it's kind of a unique it might word. Might just be the two. No, it's going to be on tons of them. Nettle Cyst is also in here. We got six. That's a lot. Okay, that's a lot. Yes, that was a more recent-ish edition. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm heartened by that. But this is just an enchantment that says, uh, whenever you cast a colorless spell, it deals one damage target creature or player. And yeah, he just cast 20 of those. Yeah. <laughs> GG. <laughs> it was a thing. Maybe not fully 20. I think he also... Uh, I think he finished me off with something else that did like four or five damage. I don't remember. Anyway, that's a Turbo Cube update for you. little little... Uh, Cube update update. I'm going to use the stinger in this episode. I haven't used that stinger cube in update, years. Update. Yeah, we got a classic cube update update coming. Cube update update. Cube update update. Cube update update. Cube update update. Are we not going to talk about Tishana's Tidebinder? Uh, we can talk about it. Uh, we also added that card. How do you feel about that? I was actually one of the people that was championing adding this card. This is the new Phyrexian Revoker-style blue Flash Merfolk. It's a uh, 3-2 for 2 and a blue. Let me see if I can get this actual rules text right. I'm not looking at the card. Okay, it's, it's tricky in a lot of ways. It is. When it enters the battlefield, you counter any activated or triggered ability. If the source of that ability was an artifact, creature, or land, it loses all abilities for as long as Tashana's Tidebinder remains in play. You're and really... And it doesn't... Oop. 
You can't counter mana abilities, which it has a reminder text for. That is all true, except it, it only takes all the abilities away from artifacts, creatures, and planeswalkers. Planeswalkers. The tricky thing with right, the creature Right, it doesn't take lands all the abilities away from lands, is you can target them when... That's right. That's I, If I thought about that harder, yeah, it makes so sense. So specifically, if, you, if somebody is animating a creature land, you can counter that ability, but because it wasn't a creature yet, they can still just activate it again because it doesn't remove abilities. But if it's a restless if vine it's stalk a or a raging stalk, ravine... Yeah, and there's a triggered ability, if you counter that, it remains a creature, but loses all abilities, so the next turn, it will then become land with no ability there's a lot of really important activated abilities in the turbo cube i think the baseline of just countering any egg so it's like oh you thought you were yep. going to draw a card and make mana now you don't i think that's a very strong baseline there's also key cards like aetherflux reservoir that if you could just shut that off that's obviously huge so i really like it here for that reason i also had my fetch land countered on turn one on the draw and i countered i mean like i played my fetch land i activated it and my opponent said to shine tidebinder and i was like okay go then i just <laughs> uh, it's a time walk that also uh-huh. is a strip mine that also gives you a three two yep and uh that was just the whole game and i, th- I think i could have like that would have been a real game we could have played and then it just wasn't because of tidebinder countering my fetch land which I- i'm gonna go on record now and say that i think that play pattern is too toxic and hard to play against in the turbo cube even I don't think it's just me still side in some I, basics. I don't think it's just me still having sour grapes from uh, from this one particular game. As someone who's a big champion in that card, I think that particular line is just devastating. Yeah, and I'm curious how often that will come up because it seems impossible that that's not the right thing to do if you have an oh, island and sure. tidebinder. But I, yeah, we'll we'll see. I, there. I feel like I don't end up playing fetch lands a lot. I just end up playing a lot of land cyclers, which this can still counter, but then you can still play another land. At least you didn't land. use your land drop, yeah. Although, am I going to keep a, a hand that has a single land cycler? Absolutely. <laughs> so maybe that's not really an argument. I'm not sure I would counter the first land cycling ability if I had the tie binder in hand. Like, if you hadn't played a land yet and you just land cycled, I'm not sure I, that's a snap counter. Where, like, countering the fetch land is like, all right, immediately. That's, Definitely. That's just amazing. But, like, if I have the option and I know my opponent has tie binder and an island, am I leading on fetch land if i don't have to i didn't know they had time binder yeah. okay like i didn't know but now you know now you know <sighs> it was rough i could see you honestly if you went a little harder on the typed land cyclers which you include some right now but you also don't include others because you're like oh, they're all basically the same yeah i could see we you could just cutting the fetch lands and just playing those instead yeah we've that does take about, a little bit away from the landfall yes deck, yeah. which is a bummer i but could leave just like green fetches you wanted to i don't know i had like five fetch lands in my deck because no one else was taking lands yeah. and again I, there was a lot of packs where there was nothing that i wanted in my colors like i was struggling to reach playables just because of the nature of what my deck was trying to do and the yeah. way the packs were breaking so i was like oh, i'll just keep taking lands and because of that i splashed an absolutely free mana gorger hydra well i say absolutely free i just described a game where i lost because i had a fetch land so it clearly wasn't free okay it's not free <laughs> if not for that it would have been fairly free but i splashed a mana gorger hydra in my otherwise black red deck which was amazing still love that card here but um yeah tidebinder man it was really rough i did such a bad job with lands in this last draft we did i'm so mad at myself still it's I funny had- it's funny because i was next to you and i would have gladly traded a lot of my lands for any of your fast mana artifacts so yeah i mean that's a difficult thing is it just so happened that i had a fair number i had a fetch land and a couple of lands like typed land cyclers so i just really needed a steam vents to to make my whole deck work tie the room together and then i opened one of them i think it was pack three but there was also power in the pack so it's like i guess i'm we're saying power it was like guild globe or something or a golden egg i mean that's um, better than power better and, than power yeah and so i was like maybe i'm gonna wheel this plus i haven't seen any other steam vents so they must all be in this third pack i had well, other... assumed they were all in the third pack and not that there was a red blue player that was taking i them. had reasons to think that there wasn't but maybe it was because i was dumb and then i got past one like six or seventh pick and i was like Here's the other half of my combo that oh, I really you, need. Okay, this was wholly on you. I was I was about to say that there's a lot of circumstances where I even just take that first one, even over the golden egg or whatever. I probably should have. I uh, pro- it probably because it's the been... kind of thing. It's a great example of the kind of card that will matter every game, and it like, really, really mattered. Like if you have three type land cyclers and a fetch land, like almost every game, it's going to matter. You have that steam vents. You're not going to draw the guild globe every game, yeah. even though when you do draw it, it's going to be really good. But I had five cards in my deck. What that... was the other half of the combo? Was it Farmstead Gleaner combo? It was yeah. Gleaner combo, it was wasn't cleaner it? Cleaner combo. Would that even end up being any good? I never. Your... It would have been great if I 
ever well i mean that's literally the thing is there were so many games where you know i had my expedition map and i really wanted to go fetch talarian academy but i had to fetch my fiery islet because the only way that i was going to make anything out of my hand was to have both colors of mana and similarly there were turns where i could have and you thought you could wield if i could get the talarian academy then i could easily gleaner somebody but uh and you thought you could wield the steam vents not the other half of farmstead gleaner combo yeah (laughs) well we all make mistakes from time to time look it's been taken from me before all right well that's this episode of lucky paper radio just talking through some changes to the turbo cube and the mentality behind them let us know in the comments if you like these kind of episodes and by the time this episode goes live i should say that uh in the past i have put some episodes on youtube kind of intermittently and to be honest it was extraordinarily tedious to I have to go and make an image for like the video that had the art in the title. Then I have to upload that image and the audio file to a website I found called Audio to Video Converter, where I'd upload the audio file and the image, and then it would process for 10 or 15 minutes, and then let me download a video for free, because that's the easiest way for me to do it, not to use some stupid software. I don't have any video editing software. Do that, download the video, upload it to YouTube, copy all the show notes over to the sort of thing. I did that for a lot of episodes, and then I stopped for a while because it was really tedious and because they weren't getting that many views, because just the experience of the podcast with no video, I think is not a great experience on YouTube personally, though I'm told that a lot of people use YouTube to listen to podcasts. All by way of saying they've added a feature now that allows us to directly import an RSS feed. So by the time this episode is out, all of our back catalog will be on YouTube in a playlist for the podcast and all future episodes will be up in a timely fashion. So I don't recommend listening on YouTube. You're probably going to get ads. It's a platform that we don't control. I'd much rather you subscribe to the RSS feed through some podcatcher of your choice but if you really want to listen on youtube it's there for you so be aware of that that concludes this episode of lucky paper radio thank you for tuning in all of our music is produced by dj james nassi all the magic arts are produced by wizards of the coast this podcast is produced by anthony and i thinking really hard about magic cards i've been speaking into microphones about it tiktok how long until we cut tidebinder i gotta be careful i keep saying we cut it's not my cube you you're in control here i feel a lot of i love the cube i feel a lot of shared interest I'm I'm invested in the cube. Mm-hmm. Any just by drafting a cube, you're changing it because you're you're gonna you're gonna shape what the the cube designer sees and the decks that are drafted. So you're you're part of this. Yeah, Patrick actually felt bad for tide bidering me. He like tried to buy me a drink. <laughs> I didn't even get tilted. I he, he could, did. He successfully bought me a drink, and he didn't even tide binder me. He just. I don't. It was it was rude. I, I didn't even get tilted. <laughs> I was just so heartbroken. Like I was just so sad. <laughs> I didn't get mad. I wasn't even like, this is bullshit. I was just like, oh. And I read the card like three times, and I was like, yeah, okay, go ahead. And he was just like, he felt really bad. Yeah. Don't feel bad. No, you should feel a little bad. I only feel that bad in, like, Commander when it's like, oh. We don't, you're not supposed to play Armageddon. It's like, what? It's it's illegal. I want to do it.